This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, she spent a decade trying to break into the music industry. And now she's in the top of the country world. Lady Wilson tells us about her passion for music, how she landed a spot opening for Luke Combs and guest starring on Yellowstone, and the decades worth of work it took to get there. There are a million different gadgets for your home, but what are you camping with? Andy Andy Barrar brings some conversation about camping gadgets and gardening. And scientist Dr. Joseph Dutturi joins us from under the ocean. Seriously, he spent almost 100 days underwater studying the effect of the ocean on himself, pressure and all that, plus the psychology behind it, and admiring the environment out the window. Dr. Dutturi tells us more about his research, what it's like to be underwater, and why he did it in the first place. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Uh, you know, they say, kind of, I don't know, like multi-talented and all these things, right? Triple threat people. I don't know. Uh, Lainey, are you a good dancer? Do you like to dance? Uh, I can shake a leg. Shake a leg. <laughs> I, can, I can get down. I like it. I can get down. Uh, Lady Wilson <laughs> is here. Um, uh, country performer, singer, and actor as well, um, doing all the acting things. Um now, if you don't know Lainey's music, you might recognize her face, especially if you watch Yellowstone and all of these different things sort of crossing over. Uh, Lainey, because, and I blame you, you do so many things. Um, uh, welcome to The Shift. Where do you want to go? Oh, my gosh. Any, many, money, mo. Uh, we, can, we can start from the beginning. Yeah, no <laughs> I kidding. can talk your ears off. I love it. So you, um, but you are on the road right now, and uh, you, yes. you, finished, you finished doing all kinds of uh, solo shows and plus Luke Combs' show and all those other ones, which must be amazing. Um, the Sort of the juxtaposition of going from Commonwealth Stadium and all of this gigantic everything to getting into the more intimate shows uh, that you do uh, when you just do some of the ones by yourself. So what's that like for you? You know, it keeps it really interesting for me and my team. Um, of course, I'm nervous either way. I could be playing for 20 people. I could be playing for 20,000, 40,000, 50,000. It does not matter. Um, I guess I, I just, I care about it so much. I can't help but be a little anxious and excited. But for me, you know, I, I have a 35 minute slot when I'm when I'm playing with Luke and I have to get up there and I got to get the crowd going, get them ready for him, make them want to drink a beer. Um, and for my shows, I feel like I really get to take my time and get to know the audience and have the audience get to know me, too. Um, I don't know which one would be my favorite because they all serve different purposes. I love it all. But um, it's crazy to think that I am up in Canada playing country music. I mean, I'm from a town of 200 people in Northeast Louisiana. So this is, is wild and it just keeps getting wilder every single day. It is kind of wild where you've gone and, and where this has taken you. Uh, I think that your story is kind of that classic overnight success that took 10 years, right? Um, of hard work. Oh my gosh. Right. For sure. Um, so how did, For sure. how did this all get started? Because you have uh, expanded into I guess it's probably just safe to say performing, um, you know, and, and being just being out there. So uh, how did this all get going for you? You know, I wrote my first song at nine years old and I brought it to my mama and I was like, I just wrote a song. And she said, what in the world? And um, it just seemed like it, it just kept happening. The next week I brought her another one. Um, and then at 11 years old, my daddy showed me a few chords on the guitar and truly songwriting became one of those things that 
it, it just chose me. I felt like I had no other option but to do it. I mean, where I'm from and the town that I grew up in, it's a little town called Baskin. Um, and country music is a way of life. It's not a genre. We lived out those words to those songs. And I loved it so much. So I knew at a very early age, even at nine years old, when I was writing my first song, that I was going to tell stories the rest of my life. I knew that I was going to be in Nashville. I knew that I was going to be a part of the music business. I didn't know how in the world I was going to get there. Um, but growing up, I did anything you could imagine to um, to make my way to Nashville, whether it was honky-tonk talent searches, country Colgate showdowns. I impersonated Hannah Montana. <laughs> I did that for five really, years. Right? I would open. Yes, I would open up the shows as myself, and then I'd go backstage and throw on a wig and I do birthday parties, fairs, festivals. Um, I did St. Jude. I did it all. And then I started playing with a cover band in the Arklemas area, which is like Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi. And um, eventually decided, you know what, if I'm if I'm really going to do this thing, I need to be in Nashville. And so I ended up buying myself a Flagstaff bumper pool camper trailer. I hauled the thing to Nashville and I lived in it for the first three years I was there. Wow. And... Yeah, I've I've been at this. I've been in Nashville for 12 years now, but I've really been working on this since I was nine years old and I turned 31 a couple weeks ago. So I love it. I can't imagine my life without it. Um, it's just, you know, everybody's got their own story. Turns out mine is uh, mine has a lot to do with time. And um, and I truly do believe that. You know, it was all about timing for me. How is uh, how does time sit for you um, when you sit? You're present to it all. Is it that sort of how far you've come when you sit and you watch it as it is today? Like what what is what does time mean for you? You know, for me, I think of course. You know, when I moved to Nashville, I was 19, and I wanted a record deal. I wanted. I wanted to be playing sold out shows. I thought I was ready, but the truth is um, I had not lived enough life to tell the kind of stories that I was supposed to tell. And I think I realized that pretty quick. Um, I had been there about two years and I thought, all right, this ain't going to go the way that I thought it was going to go. But I know for a fact that I'm not going home. And so I had this mentality of, you know, no plan B. I felt like if I had a plan B, then plan A was not going to work. So I had to figure it out. I was not going back home to Louisiana to help my daddy farm. It was, I had just made up my mind. Um, but I do believe, you know, for the little boys and girls who are tuned in to my journey, um, I'm hoping that I can be that person that, you know, they're like, well, this didn't just happen overnight for her. You know, some folks, it does happen that way. But for me, it has been brick by brick. It's been about building that foundation, starting from scratch. And looking back on it now, I am grateful that it has taken me this long. There has definitely been times where I should have packed up my camper trailer and moved back to the house, but I just didn't. I just knew that, that my time was coming, just trusting and believing. Yeah, and the best part about that is that it's also possible that the best time is still coming, right? Like this isn't the finish line. That's like right. that's the cool way to look at it is that, um, that it's wild. they cross over. I want to just acknowledge one thing. There's an awful lot of people that I've met in the performance world that, you know, they get that TV show and then the music really takes off. And, but for you, mm -hmm. it didn't really happen that way. I mean, your, yep. uh, your Academy of Country Music nominations and awards started before Yellowstone 
And then at the same time, there was a bunch of it. And then since then, of course, you won some more because you've had quite the uh, quite the run of awards the last couple of years. But the the um, the cool part is, is the music did hit first. Right. You didn't get that yeah. that free TV pass, if you will. So you, 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 no. you like you said, brick by brick, that really sits with me. That's I think we can all learn from that, whether it's a hobby or career or love affair. Uh, we can take that. We can put it into our favorite human beings, our relationships. I mean, brick by brick is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a country song. Um, and that's it. I'm writing it today. Nice. And, um, but, but Yellowstone didn't happen. It, it wasn't your free pass. So it must, is it, does that make it extra special that, that you still did start to get the success and, and growth in music first? It, that does mean a lot to me because I'll tell you, um, songwriting is, is my number one love. Before I am anything, I am a songwriter. I'm a storyteller. And, um, I'm very thankful that I got to lead with that foot. I feel like I got to introduce myself to a lot of people through that. And, um, you know, Yellowstone definitely helped, I guess, put a name to a face, put a face to a name. I think that it really helped connect those dots. But, um, I'll tell you what, I don't, I don't want anybody thinking that I just showed up and something happened for me overnight. That is not what I want. I, I come from a bunch of hardworking folks. My daddy is a farmer. My mom was a teacher. Um, they showed me what hard work is all about. They taught me how to pull up my bootstraps when times get tough. And I really, I compare the music business to farming a whole lot. I mean, you get up every day, um, you do the same thing. You have good years, you have bad years. A tornado could roll through and blow it all away. But at the end of the day, if it's if it's in your heart and in your soul and what you love, then you just get up and you do the damn thing. And that has been my mentality. And that's going to be my mentality forever. And just like you said, I mean, this is this is the beginning. And that's hard to wrap my head around yeah. because I'm like, we're just getting started. Oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm tired. Mm, that's beautiful. <laughs> I um, yeah. And you have to wrestle a couple of bulls along the way. I mean, you can apply that to music and farming. Um because there's right. a couple of uh, there's a couple of uh, people in the music business that you probably have to wrestle and get them out of your way too. So this is you do. this is right. Uh, this is so true. Um, Lainey Wilson is here now. If you don't know Lainey's music, country music, and uh, the season five in Yellowstone, the character of Abby. There's a, a really great phrase that I've really become present to from a few years ago in my life, and then more recently it's come back again. And it's this statement: "It's uh, I thought I was late, but it turns out I'm right on time." And wow. that to me is an incredibly important piece, I think, for all of us. How does that feel mm-hmm. for you? It made me it made my heart just kind of do a weird little pitter patter, if I'm being honest, because that is exactly how I feel. Um, I feel like what I do musically is what I've always done. Um, I, I sing just how I talk and um, it's country. But for country music, I do feel like you know, things kind of come in, they're popular for a minute, they kind of go out. But um, when I moved to town in 2011, I do exactly what I do now. Um, Of course, I've grown and I've gotten better and I'm a better songwriter and a better singer and a better storyteller. Um, But I knew that there was going to be a window, there was going to be a time um, when what I do is cool. And I truly do believe that Yellowstone had a lot to do with that, making the Western way of life cool again, making that country way of life cool again. In my opinion, it should have never not been cool. Yeah. But um, I do believe that timing, it's, it's very, very important. And for me, 
the stars could not have aligned any better. Um, I've just, I've been hanging on for dear life for years, hoping and praying that, um, that my time would come and it just, it couldn't have been better timing. So when you go and you look back at Lainey, who is learning how to hitch up a trailer uh, with safety chains and all the things, I mean, sure on the farm, you've done it before, but when it's your trailer and you're towing it to a different city, that's different. That's a different experience. There's a different level of panic <laughs> that goes on of, Oh my God, did I forget something? So that oh, Lainey yeah. back there, hands are dirty. Um, knees are probably metaphorically scraped. Um, hooking up that mm. trailer, uh, excited, probably a little terrified, a whole lot of naive. Mm. What do mm -hmm. you say to that Laney today? I say, don't do it. No, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'd, I'd say, um, you don't know what you're getting yourself into, but that's kind of the beauty of all of it. Um, that naive part is, is really the, the most beautiful part. Um, if I'd have known, if I'd have known that it was going to be as difficult and hard as it has been, like, I don't know if I would have went into it with the attitude that I did. Um, I would tell that little girl, I'd say it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done, but it's also going to be the most rewarding thing you've ever done. Um, I would say be kind, um, because at the end of the day, you can go play music for people. You can sit in their offices and pull out your guitar and sing them the song you wrote. But at the end of the day, they probably are not going to remember your song, but they're going to remember the way that you made them feel. Absolutely. And um, that is something that I have have led by. And I would I would remind her of that. I remind her that uh, people are going to come in your life and, and go. But, um, I, you know, that's life. And, and sometimes you got to get rid of the weeds in order to grow. And I would say, work hard. Don't worry about what everybody's doing on either side of you. Find whatever it is that you're good at and lean into it as much as you possibly can. If I came up to you while you were hooking up that trailer and he said, hey, by the way, this is all the pain and all the heartache. This is all of the struggle, the screw ups, the failures, the embarrassment, the shame and all the things that you're going to put on yourself that you probably don't even deserve. Mm hmm. But by the way, this is the outcome. Here's the snapshot, 2023. Would you do it on purpose? You're gonna make me. You're gonna make me cry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, ooh, man, I would. I would do it all over again. I would, um, because the way that the way that I'm feeling right now is, I, I truly do feel like I have a story to tell, and. I'm excited to share that story. And um, I do feel like I've got some big shoes to fill. I feel like I, it's a big responsibility for, for me to be a role model. I got a lot of little eyes looking at me right now. Mm -hmm. And um, I want them to know that, you know, if you want something in life, then you go get it. You roll your sleeves up and you go get the thing. But also, um, there's so many pieces to the puzzle. And I feel like I'm right in the thick of learning it right now. Um, I'm learning, all right, like you're going to have a lot of people's opinions. A lot of people are going to um, start coming out of the woodworks and start trying to act like um, they need to have a say in what you do or, or what you say. And the truth is, um, I do feel like I have my feet planted firmly on the ground. And I've got a lot of people in my life who remind me who I am and, and where I come from. And um, 
I want to be able to do this and be nothing but myself because I, I can't imagine waking up 30 years from now and, and being successful, but knowing that I did it by pretending that I'm something that I'm not. Oh. And so um, it feels good. I feel like I'm in a, in a really good space right now, but it hadn't always been this way. <laughs> Integrity's a beast, huh? Oh my gosh, it is. Mm -hmm. You're right. So uh, for our Yellowstone fans, I have to serve them. And I would love to keep the philosophy conversation going because that's where my heart truly lives. Uh, but I, we have to get something to our Yellowstone fans that know you from Yellowstone and the character of Abby. Tell me something about Yellowstone uh, that you probably shouldn't tell us that's very special for you that you loved about it. Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, the first day of set, my very first scene on the show was with Beth, Kelly Riley. And I thought... I thought for sure she was going to put me in a headlock. I was like, she's going to whoop my butt. I know it. But turns out, you know what? She was one of the sweetest people I've ever met. I mean, she made me bath salts. Really? She was, she encouraged me. She lifted me up. I even did tell her, I said, I, I'm not going to lie. I thought you were going to, you're going to whoop up on me there for a minute. She was like, you know, she's British. Did you know no, that? No, I didn't. I did not know that. She is British. And so with my accent, and her accent, we needed a dang translator, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was awesome. I mean, the entire cast and crew, just good people, good hardworking folks that um, love their job. And I got to be pretty much side stage and watch and learn from them. I mean, this was my first rodeo. I've, I told you I impersonated Hannah Montana growing up, but I never had, you know, I never actually had to like learn a script. Mm -hmm. And so it was a big learning curve for me, but... Um, it was great because they were fans of my music. I was fans of them and we pretty much just got to geek out over each other and we're, we're family now. That's beautiful. Um, it's so exciting actually. So when you started to really get recognition, things a man ought to know was really sort of the, the song that kicked it all off. Um, so for all the gentlemen that are listening, um, <laughs> but let me tell you one of my beliefs pieces that I think is so incredibly important. I subscribe to the notion that when men learn how to speak to men, that's when we change our relationships with women, children, and the world. And so it's an incredibly wow. important thing that, that we do every day. So it makes me very curious to hear from Lainey Wilson. Uh, what's a thing that a man should, you could pinch your own lyric if you like, but what's a thing a man should <laughs> probably know? Put the toilet lid down, take out the track. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> There's a, <laughs> When we sat down to write this song, I was I wrote it with two full grown men and um, I was joking with them and I said, y'all better cancel your plans because we're going to be here all night talking about the things a man ought to know. Uh, but the truth is, I mean, this song is about having good character. It's about treating people the way that you want to be treated. And my, I think my parents did a good job at making sure I knew how um, to treat people, but also knowing how I should be treated. And, um, I've definitely fallen short on both sides of that, you know, not knowing what I deserve and, um, vice versa. So that's what it's about. It's just about being a good person. And that's not something that just a man ought to know. It's something that we all need to know. So, you know, the first the first verse of the entire song is talking about hooking a trailer on a hitch and, um, and all those things that like my parents taught me growing up. Uh, but the truth is, you can YouTube all that stuff. That's not that's not what this song is about. Mm, it's beautiful. I love it. Uh, Lainey Wilson, so Luke Combs opening and on tour, and um, and then, of course, your own shows and much more to come for that. How cool is Canada? Come on, tell us. 
I love Canada, and y'all have got some rednecks. Let me tell you, I fit right in. Yeah, that's so good. We have all, I fit right we in. have a variety of rednecks. Um, I'm in Calgary, I right? So you're going to be here shortly, and um, and the, the you know the, there's some. Um, there's a variety of kinds of redneck here, which is really cool. That must remind you a lot of the South because there's a variety of rednecks in the South too. Oh my gosh. I've learned that y'all really just love having a good time. Um, like y'all love some beer. Y'all like having a good, I mean, it's just, I do, I feel right at home and I love that y'all love country music just as much as I do. It's just, it's pretty cool. Congratulations on all of the hard work and how it's unfolded. And I'm excited to see uh, our next conversation where we get to look back at this and say, um, we've come so far, look how we've succeeded right. and um, we were just getting started. So I look forward to that one next time we get to chat. Me too. Me too. I feel like I've learned a lot from you oh, just in 30 minutes. That's very nice. Thank you for sharing your heart with us today. Absolutely. I appreciate you, bud. This is the Shift Podcast. Handy Andy Barrar joins us from Surrey, BC. It's handyandymedia.com. Andy, have you ever heard of a like weeping planter? A, a weep? It sounds like a planter that's crying. What? I it's know. very sad, isn't it? It's a very sad planter. I was like, planter, it's okay. Do you want to talk about it? Um, no, so I, I have planters at this place, and I didn't know that. I mean, I knew there was planters here. I walked through the yard before I moved in, of course. But I saw these planters, didn't think much about it. Then I was talking to uh, Scott, who owns the place, and, and he's like, oh, yeah, these are they're weeping planters. And so what you do, there's a pipe that sticks out of it, and you fill that pipe with water. Oh, yeah. And then it fills the pipes underneath the planter, and those plants just weep into the um, into the bottom of the planter and get the water down deep. Yeah. 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 There's a little trick that a lot of people do for watering plants. And so as soon as it gets dry, more water goes down there. Yeah. And so if you can't water it, I mean, well, you still have to kind of water it from the top and do all the things. But if you don't get to it for a day, the soil yeah. will stay damp down below, which is important, which is cool. So did you set this all up then? No, he it was done. He did it. It was great. Oh, so I planted are you my growing? Corn. Are you are you putting anything in those planters? So like, what are yeah. you growing? Yeah, I got tomatoes in uh, two of them, and uh, those are great. And then I've got corn in uh, in one. Nice. And I'm gonna I I have like five extra corn plants that are like they're just tough little buggers. So I don't want to like throw them away, right? And no. I don't really have room for them, so they're gonna go kind of in the corner of the other one. And then I've got um, what else do I got there? I got some spinach. Spinach did not do well on the old. Uh, peat pods um but then i got spinach i have some onions and then uh bok choy so steve will stop getting mad at you oh nice yeah hey i have a i have a great story to tell you that's also gardening related yeah. i was uh in my yard today just ripping out some weeds um by that community garden that i built and this couple comes by and she's like you know hey really like i've seen them i've talked to them before and she's like i'm really happy that you made this community garden. I saved so much money on lettuce last year and I'm really happy to see that you're growing some more. And so then we got to talking and then she's like, you know, are, are you like a professional gardener? And I'm like, no, I'm a tech journalist, but I do a lot of gardening, which is pretty much opposite of what I do for a living. And then she's like, 
are you on the radio? And I'm like, no. Yeah. She's like, you're on the shift that late night with Shane. And I'm like, yes. She's like, oh my God, I listen to you every week. Oh, and this lady amazing. has been coming to my garden, the community garden for about a year now. Cause she was one of the first people I said, I'm like, I'm not putting a sign up. Cause if I say free vegetables, somebody's right. going to come and take them all. But if I tell people as they walk by, you know, people will start, the, it'll get spread around that this is a community garden. And she was one of them. And she's a big fan of your show, Shane. So oh, very uh, nice. Mary, nice Mary and Jake, her husband, they're retired. They, they walk by every day. Uh, I wanted to give a shout out to them because I just met them earlier today. Very cool. That's good. See, look at that gardening, uh, bringing people together, dude. Well done. I love it. Yes. I love it. I've uh, got a text from Steve who has been bugging us for three years to grow bok joy. And uh, he says, grow Guyland now. <laughs> oh, see, can never, can never get ahead. As soon as you get one, he yep. wants another. Well, you know what? That's people always say, you know, you can never make people happy. I think that's what just happened. Bok choy is so yesterday, he says. <laughs> well, I, you, you mentioned that you had trouble growing spinach. I had spinach that I grew last year. It survived all the snow and it came back up, Shane. It, it was like it was like a rainforest of baby spinach. So my mom came over on the weekend and she helped me and we, we, we harvested it all, washed it. She's freezing it. She's making a lot of Indian dishes with it right now. So I'm definitely in the good books mom with my cooks. mom. She's, I can she's see happy that with in your me. face. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you get. Yeah, you yeah. just started talking about your mom's cooking. You started to smile. Listen oh, to yeah, yeah. This is a great so trade. Good. She's a great cook, and I'm like, oh, I'm, I told her, I'm like, whatever you want, you just tell me. Give me the seeds. I will grow it. We have a great rela relationship going on here. I'll eat your, That's cool. your fresh food. Yeah, love it. Well, I wanted to put in things that were wouldn't take a ton of work that were very hardy because it could be gone for a couple days yeah. at a time. Um, and that's why I chose corn. That's why I chose bok choy. That's why spinach I was hoping would be stronger than it was. Uh, I was going to do carrots, ran out of room, right? So, I mean, on, on, onions, I mean, God, those things, you can't even kill them. They'll grow in your fridge. So the um, that's the hope. So we'll see where it goes. Pretty cool stuff. If you uh, go to handyandymedia.com, you can see some of his self-watering planters and all the other things. His pergola is po – you posted the pergola at Shift Heads, didn't you? That's right. Yes, yeah. yes. I did an update first week of June. So uh, I think by the end of the month, all of those plants, those climbing plants, peas, beans, tomatoes, uh, squash – should hit that that roof and then they're going to be on top and that that's that's party time that's when everything is growing above and you can walk underneath and just be f surrounded by greenery cool all right so uh, not only gardening and diy gadgets is the topic of the day today you did some things on plasma lighters which is interesting to me uh because they they it seems like from watching your videos that uh, you like this better that they're more efficient i still kind of wonder you know what's worse a little bit of butane or another battery going into the landfill uh share your thoughts on the function of it and then sort of the i don't know the the environmental compass of of more batteries where did you land on both those I'm not sure a lot of people are familiar with these kind of lighters. They're called plasma arc lighters. So they're electronic lighters. You charge them up via USB. You can use them about 100 times before you need to charge them up again. And the way that they work is they have these kind of like two nodes. They almost look like the end. Have you ever seen like a neuron where you have two ends of a neuron? And then there's that little gap in between. And what taser. it does is it sends, it, yeah, it sends, it's kind of like a taser too. So it sends a high electricity uh, voltage between those two. And anything that goes in between it, there's just so much heat that it starts to light on fire. So you could put a candle in, uh, in between it and it will light or say like anything else that you're trying to light. 
Um, I reviewed five of these from a like company called- Like a doobie? Called... You can say it. I, like, I almost some said of, it, Shane. Some, yes. some of Andy's secret lettuce, the uh, I almost the said it, no, or as my grandfather used right. to call it, the wacky tabacky. You the know? wacky tabacky, you got it. Um, <laughs> the Maui Maui. Yeah, Maui. so you, 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 could, you could like those kind of things. And, and so they have five different versions. One that was really cool, it's got an extendable arm. So in the event that you're trying to, say, light candles that are up or perched up, you can extend the arm or say your barbecue if you want to, if it's old and you want to kind of light it up um, from far away. They have another one that's a Save survival your eyebrows. Mode. You say, hey, that happened to my brother when I was a kid. Oh boy. He had really? his head in there and I was pressing the ignite button and it ignited and he fried all of his eyebrows. Oh, so wow. I've seen that happen. It was it was a sight to behold. I should call I him bet. and remind him about that. You should. I digress, though. Um, so, so these electronic lighters. Here's the thing. You think, oh, great. It's got a battery. I can use this forever. No, it's got a lithium battery. So just like your phone, it's going to die. These, these lighters have a two-year life shelf or shelf life, I should say. Um, and it doesn't matter how much you use it, Shane. You could use it every day or use it once a year. You got two years, that's it, and then it dies. So they're still disposable, I guess, at the end of the day, but it's a two-year lifespan. And like you said, what happens to that battery? And where does that battery go? Is this a better solution than the Bix lighters that you can buy, those disposable lighters? I don't know, but they're certainly safer because they don't have a flame to it. And if you're trying to light something up in the wind, it, it's not going to go out. Um, and I'm sure everyone's experienced that before. Yeah. So so they have their pros and cons. Um, and they're just, a, I think, for lighting up your barbecue or if you need an indoor light just to light up candles for birthdays, the, it's a good investment. But again, what happens after that dies? Where does that battery go? It's probably going to go to the landfill. It probably won't get recycled. And that's just the big issue that we have with electronics these days. Yeah, well, isn't that the case, right? Like I just, um, I totally, I don't know. I have all kinds of butane lighters in the house that I buy the pack of like four. And I probably bought them six years ago, Yeah. right? So, I mean, to me, this notion of, hey, we're saving the world. I mean, the plasma lighter part, if the lighter works more efficiently for what you're doing, then yeah, use it if it's more efficient. But I mean, if your expectation is that I got an electric lighter because it's better, no petroleum, no butane, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's the case. This is, yeah, this is where marketing sort of trumps reason and common sense in my mind. Well, when I first saw this, I think around 2019, I bought one on Amazon. I thought this was the coolest, just, you know, being a tech guy. I'm like, wow, mm. this is cool technology. But you know what happened after about two years? It did die and then it was gone. And I was like, I'm back to using a Bic lighter because you have to have lighters on standby just in case. Yep. Um, so I, I'm with you on this. I, I like yeah, the technology. That's another thing. Good point. What if you don't charge it up and then the power goes out? You can't charge it up. <laughs> like a yeah. butane lighter you can use for a week and not need a recharge. These things, you can't recharge it if the power goes out. That's a very good point. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, they, they have their pros and cons. They are an option out there. They have this survival one for camping. And what's really good about it is that it has a, a light. So it's a flashlight and a lighter. So something like that, hey, this can be used and it could save your life in the event that you need to make a fire because you got lost or you need that light. It even has a strobe effect on the light. So if you want an SOS to help people find you, mm. those kind of make sense to me um, of, of having it. But I think... We're going to see butane lighters uh, be around for the future. I think I would, they, yeah, I they just work and they'll be around for a long time because of that. Any other camping gadgets you want to touch on here quick before we go? 
Yeah, there's another one that I really like that I've tried. It's called the BioLite Camp Stove. And this is a portable fire pit. I don't know if you've ever seen this, Shane. It's a little portable fire. You can start a little fire in it, and it has a module on the other side. It takes the heat from the fire, converts it into electricity, has a USB port. In the event that you're out in the outback and you have no power in your phone, you can actually charge your phone by starting this fire. And it's oh. in this little kit that's portable. You can put it in the back of a backpack. You can even cook with it, boil water. Uh, something that people should check out. I actually have it. It's called the BioLite Camp Stove 2. Uh, great gadget. Uh, it could possibly save your life as well if you're out in the backcountry with no electricity and a dead phone. I like those little charges you can put in the river, a little propeller. It spins and charges your things that's kind of neat too they, they have portable chargers where you can crank it and you just mm -hmm. keep winding it and you can make power like from that yeah. yeah yeah so there's a lot if of good I, camping gadgets out there for that yeah when i go on vacation i take that one crank it up and it's got a little solar panel on it now you can't play yeah. it loud it won't last yeah but if you play it quietly by your ear you crank it up to get it started and the sun's out you will be able to get music quietly by your ear without having to have headphones on when you're lying on the beach so there are some good yeah. gadgets out there right? Yes. It's not the kind of one that you're going to be able to crank it up and listen to music for 30 minutes on it. That does not, that's not the case. And it's great okay. if you have kids because you get them to do all the cranking for you. To keep that's it right. Charged, right. What a good plan. You're a good uncle. Okay. Uh, 877-399-9898. At the risk of sounding like a jerk, I'm going to read this one. I don't mean to. Rick says, how do you freeze spinach? Well, you put it in the freezer. Uh, there's different ways. People lay it out flat. And then they yeah. will have like on a tray and then you have like the leafy look. And then some people just chop it up right away and then freeze it as chopped up like kale freezes yeah. quite nicely that way. Yeah. And some people just basically squash it into a brick yeah, and freeze the brick like a giant ice cube. And then you just cut that brick up. It's very soggy when it comes out, though. It's not like it doesn't come out good. Yeah, you basically use it just to cook right away. And uh, yeah. like some people might even use it for smoothies, you know, with, like, yeah. when they chop it up. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there you go. So that's why you would freeze spinach. But it's not if you want to have nice leafy things, it doesn't come out like a French fry. Let's put it that way. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this is the shift podcast under the sea get to take you under the sea that's where we're going right now literally under the sea there is a gentleman uh named dr joseph deturi who is living under the sea he's he's in a pod 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 sure he's got a little house he got a little casa casa de ocean and um, and he's hanging out under the sea, and he's with us now. Dr. Joe, how are you? Hey, I'm very well. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Now, clearly, you have internet under the ocean, so that must be helpful. We ran a uh, we ran a Cat Five cable at the start of the mission, and uh, it's an unshielded cable, so we're hoping that it lasts the whole hundred days. Uh, we're we're you know we're on ninety seven today, so wow. <laughs> Well, let's. Uh, I am so curious about how that feels to be right there on the cusp of sunlight. Maybe um, the uh, why? Why are you there, Joe? Help us understand. I mean, I, I don't think you know. A lot of people say, "Hey, by the way, I'm going to go live under the ocean." Politically speaking, I think many people would agree with that idea. Um, <laughs> but the when it comes to the idea of it, that's a strange one. You must have had a couple of raised eyebrows of what. Yeah, uh, so the idea, the genesis of the idea came uh, over 10 years ago, but uh, there are three basic messages here that we're trying to work. 
I have a PhD in biomedical engineering, and I want to know what happens to the human body when you put it in an isolated, confined, extreme environment for a period of 100 days straight. Nobody's ever done this. It's the longest saturation dive in the history of the world. It's wow. the longest current exposure to pressure that anybody's ever been under. So we're taking blood, urine, saliva, continually over 200 tests in that in that aspect. I'm taking wow. electrocardiograms on my heart, electroencephalograms on my brain. I'm doing pulmonary function tests for breathing to see what's going on with the breathing and work of breathing resistance. Also doing blood pressure and a whole bunch of little tests. So additionally, we're doing 19 psychological and psychosocial tests. So we want to really find out what's going on. And that is continually, all that is continually throughout this mission so that we can track and trend everything, including, hey, your vitamin D, because you're not hitting the sun, what's happening with your vitamin D? What's happening with your cortisol? What's happening with your, your, your everything, your testosterone, everything, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is tracking and trending and it's a slow process. That's the first reason. The second reason is so that I can do outreach with kids and science, technology, engineering, and math. I'm trying to push them towards careers in science, technology, engineering, and math because we have real serious problems. We have serious things that need to be worked out and we need serious answers from real scientists. So we have a shortage of those type people and we're trying to get them to be incentivized by it and to think maybe it's not all about beakers and lab coats and microscopes and oh, I'm bored, right? It's, it's a little more, it can be fun, right? Science yeah. can be fun. I'm literally living in the ocean doing science. And everybody's like, really, are you? Are you really having fun? And I'm like, this is so much fun. I'm going to need plastic surgery to remove the smile from my face. That's so, so good. I can I can actually concur that. You you do look particularly happy for a guy who's been underwater for all this time. <laughs> I, when I saw your face, I was like, wow, he likes this stuff. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's, it's the culmination of, uh, of exactly what I wanted to do for the last many, many, many years. Yeah, it's like all things nerd really coming together, right? I mean, do you find, okay, we talk about psych, I got lots of questions, Joe. Um, yeah. the, the, do you find that you're, this has given you, I mean, you're talking about sort of the psychosocial aspect of this and the psychology behind it. I mean, do you find that your inner nerd has really blossomed in this? I mean, you've obviously, you got a PhD in this, uh, so you, you've obviously embraced that part of you, but have you found that your experience of yourself, that that inner nerd has really just been like, yeah. Right, absolutely. And and moreover, I get to the third and final thing, I get to talk to my PhD and MD friends that are in the marine science world. So not only am I embracing my inner nerd, I'm getting to get these people to talk to me about, they are an absolute nerd in shark research. They, they are an absolute nerd in sponges research underwater. Mm-hmm. They're an absolute nerd in transplanting coral. And we're talking about rejuvenating, you know, protecting and preserving the marine environment, but also now rejuvenating it in growing new reefs and reoxygenating the ocean. So that's the that's the third and final part of this. And yeah, when you say embrace the inner geek, oh yeah, I absolutely have. And all my friends are, and we're all like fish nerd or you know sponge nerd or you know i'm a i'm a human body internal to the human body nerd it's and that's just fine you know i'm 6'1 220 pounds i'm okay i'm 100 kilos yeah people don't call me nerd really usually right yeah that's okay i don't mind if they do at this point i get that uh so 
you're you have i'm gonna try to describe so uh, this part of your uh casa de ocean that you're sitting in you've got this round window like a port window behind you yeah. there's some uh, algae looking gro- i don't know the terminology for, so forgive me about the plants the yeah. algae looking growth it's particularly green the light that comes through the ocean that you can see there when i was in mexico joe there was this really ugly fish that had these teeth on the bottom it really desperately need braces scared the crap out of me um <laughs> The what, has that guy showed up for you in your window? What kind of creatures have you seen I under can, there? I can go with no. I haven't seen that. Basically, we have he was lobsters. A jerk. We have he was uh, a... we have crabs. We have uh, strong claw crabs. Uh, we have blue claw crabs. We have every single fish imaginable: grouper, uh, little tang. You know, little little everything's here. Mm-hmm. Um, we have seahorse here, which is quite cool. I've oh, seen cool. squid. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. Barracuda. I mean, it's 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 quite a a plentiful place. And the more you look, the more you actually see. And this is part of the thing about living underwater. Yeah. So you're down by Florida. That's where. Uh, just for everyone to give you some context. I'm down in the very far south end of Florida, uh, in in Key Largo specifically. And I'm actually technically in the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, you know, like like you said, I'm just kind of having a ball down here and this is kind of like my the culmination of 28 years as a special operations diver in the u.s navy learning how to saturation dive and get along with a lot of people phd in biomedical engineering and then mix in my zest for life and my desire to explore and find out what's going on in the world and the human body and protect and preserve the marine environment all that comes together into one fell swoop and i'm like wow hashtag winning yeah, well, hashtag winning, you nailed it. I mean, that's so exciting. I mean, you're you're on the countdown here, though, Joe. It must be real mixed emotions. Um, and I'm assuming the tests will continue. Like, I'm assuming that you get back out now and then you continue a large set of sample tests to be able to reset what the biometrics happen with your body. But you're going to wake up that first. You know when you get your hair cut and you use too much shampoo and you're like, whoa, that's different. You're going to wake up that first day that you're not underwater and that's going to be the strangest feeling for you. Um, I, it's mixed emotion, excited, sad. How does that look? It, it is. I can tell you what's not going to happen. I'm not going mm-hmm. to strike my head on the upper bunk. Oh, uh, time I get out of bed, which is something that happens. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to wake up with a pain in my back and a crick in my neck because things are, uh, you know, it's, it's less than the most comfortable place I've ever slept. But that's okay this is all for science and we really are doing this for the greater good and and to wit the greater good of humanity and i mean so 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 let me stop and back up if you don't mind taking me yeah. let me take you on a tail for take your me list. on a trip joe so when i retired from 28 years as a navy officer i was really good at submersibles so when i say really good at submersibles i was the guy who was working on the pressurized rescue module. I was an undersea pilot for the one atmosphere suit, so I'm a deep submergence pilot. And then I got brought to Special Operations Command to build dry combat submersible. So I know a ton about submersibles. I know a ton about diving, locking in and out of things, and, and that kind of stuff. So I got a call upon retirement from uh, a group that works for James Cameron, and they said, hey, Jim would like you to come out to his house. I'm like, Jim, Jim who? Like Jim, James Cameron. I'm like, Jim, James Titanic, Cameron, Jim? the filmmaker. You know, the guy <laughs> that made Avatar, really? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Send me a ticket, right? Like me not believing it. They sent me a ticket and I'm like, oh no, this might be real. 
Wow. I go out there. I go to Jim Cameron's house. So I'm at literally at his house, literally walking his dog on the beach, literally checking out the submersible that in 2012 he dove to the bottom of the Mariana's Trench in. So now I'm evaluating it. I'm checking it out. I'm looking at all the stuff that he found. And he's like, hey, I need you to go home. I need you to write a report. And I need that report by Christmas of 2012. So I start writing the report. I'm at home. I'm looking through all the papers. And, and all of a sudden, I find a sheet that we had pulled the DNA for one of the things that he found. He found a sea lice that's 11 inches long. Now, sea lice are usually teeny tiny, at least in Florida they are, yeah. teeny tiny, and they get into your wetsuit, and they kind of give you a little rash or something, but not a big deal. This was 11 inches long, and they recovered it. When he recovered it, we pulled DNA sample. DNA sample is a partial cure for Alzheimer's. No. Wait, let me stop and say that a different way. There was a partial cure for a disease that plagues humanity existing at the bottom of the Marianas Trench naturally. So I'm sitting back, it's December 24th, 2012, and I'm sitting back in my office writing this report going, everything we need is on this planet. I said, you have the yin, you have the yang, you have the dark, you have the light, you have the disease, oh, you this. have the cure. So I said, we have to live in the ocean. And my friends are like, you've lost it. And I'm like, no, 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 really, listen, listen, think about it. If 4.5 billion years of genomic wisdom say that we come from one basic origin of species, right? One basic creation, which is as coelacanth or coelacanthus lathus, right? And everything has branched off of that, including the dinosaur, including the man, including the fish, everything. Everything has branched off that. So you would think that if one got a disease, that the other would naturally have the cure. So it totally makes sense. And in the ocean, we find cures for many things. In basket sponges, one of my geeky sponge friends came down here, PhD in sponge research. She's like, oh yeah, the drug acyclovir, which is a powerful antiviral drug. It's manufactured from a sponge. We literally got that from a sponge. There, there are so many like cations that are in fish that are anti-cancer causing properties. And, and, you know, like there are so many good things to learn. Like, you know what? Barnacles stick a lot really well. Like really, like yeah, we invented like too well. <laughs> the most toxic substance on earth called super glue. Right. Right. And we could have used barnacle technology to make things stick. You know what I'm saying? Stuff like that, like learn from the ocean without raping it, without taking, you know, without uh, depleting it of its natural resources. Just learn from it and copy that kind of stuff. There are so many novel delivery agents that can be found. There are so many cures that can be found. So I said, we need to live in the ocean. And that was in 2012. Here we are. Fast forward just a little over 10 years later. And uh, I'm actually doing it. Wow, it's fascinating. Um, you take me back to a conversation we recently had from Australia where they use sounds to bring oysters back um, to repopulate. Like that was, and it was just sound. That's all they did, right? And they repopulated whole reefs with oysters by, by attracting the little larvae for sounds. Like that to me is so fascinating. It's so simple and so natural, but yet it leans into all those pieces that you talk about. I mean, one of the things for me, Joe, is um, I'm being a radio guy, words matter, right? Like you can't know good unless you know bad. You can't know hot unless you know cold. You can't know up unless you know down. It's a function of language. It is the most basic of the things. If you want the roadmap, it's there for you. 
it's there right. for you right now. And so just like you're saying, like you're saying the exact same thing. If, if you like the, that's the function of all of it is that if it's, if you're going to know one, you've got to know the other and it has to be present for it to exist. It's a fundamental piece of life philosophical self allow me to cross my legs and float off the floor just a little bit when I do those things. I know, right? I'm like, hmm. but it's, um, but it is so present. Has that, you spent a lot of time underwater, but is that, is this new to Joe or is it like discovery or has this been sort of unfolding through the course of all of this journey for you? Cause it seems to get you really jacked up. Yeah, this has been uh, this has been unfolding over my entire life, and and you know retrospectively, I can look back and I go, everything in my life happened for a reason. Yes, I got hurt in that accident so that I would stay at home, that I would read that book, that would turn me on to this, that would let me move here, that would, this would happen, and and then all of a sudden I'd be the guy who knew that stuff that they needed out of that book, and because I was. Everything happens for a reason, right? And retrospectively, if you look back over your life, you can see that your purpose was charted for you. And have Love you ever it. ridden Mr. Toad's Wild Ride at Disney? I know you're in, in Canada. No, I have not. No. In Disney, they have a, a ride called Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And it's basically a car ride where you're driving, but you're driving on a track. Now, it's not so tracked that you are on railroad tracks but you are basically have curves that keep you on the track. So in life, you can steer the car a little bit, but you're going somewhere. You're going somewhere and you're predestined to go to that place. So you have two choices. You can stress about it and try and drive as straight as you possibly can and file all the road and do all the, or you can just sit back, take a bunch of deep breaths, try and learn what you're here for and roll with that. Seems like I love it. the latter is much more, much easier on the soul, right? Oh, it is much easier on the soul. I, 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 there's two pieces of writing that I've recently done, Joe, that I would like to give to you that, that I feel uh, are very appropriate right now. And it's, it's, again, it's this intersection of timing, right? This conversation for me couldn't be more perfect personally because of this. And yet here I am scribbling these notes and these ideas and notions that I have. And it turns out that in this conversation, they seem very appropriate. Um, all my life, I thought I was too late. Turns out I'm right on time. Right? <laughs> that one yep. hits. Um, the other one is, um, imagine all these gifts that we've been given are not for us anyway. They're just for the rest of the world. And if you're a guardian of the gift, what would you do with it? Yeah. That's what I hear here, Joe. I hear that you've be wow. you've discovered that you become a bit of a guardian of these gifts, the guardian of the nerdiness to be able to give it yeah. to the kids and and you know, I find cures or inspire kids to get into STEM because there it is grossly lacking. Yeah. So so one of the things that came out of this that was pretty profound that I said, they said, Well, what do you want kids to learn? What do you want? You can say STEM all you want, but what do you really want? I said, here's what I want. I want to teach the youth of the world to read a scientific paper. Oh, wow. that's too big of words. And I said, listen to me. Everybody gets tripped up on the big words in a scientific paper, especially like if I read something in science or nature or any one of the big publications, The Lancet, some some magazine that's, uh, that's a big scientific peer-reviewed publication, you find that you have to look up all the words. So let them yeah. look up words. But most importantly, 
teach them to go read the science and determine on their own which science is good, bad, flaky, wasn't quite done correctly, methods weren't good. So if you teach the kids that, then we don't have to rely upon quote unquote experts to tell us, hey, trust me because I have science and to doubt me is to doubt science. I said, hold on a second there, doctor. I'm not sure you know the way science works because I love it. you're supposed to question my science. Yes, that's, that's the point. Science means if you question my science, you make the science better. It's not my science, it's the science. I love it. Seeking evidence, right, and seeking agreement is completely different. The distinction I was asked for the once was, what is a scientist? And I, my answer to that was, well, you're going to need to understand what is science if you want to find out what a scientist is. <laughs> um, but imagine the world today, like, so an example of you living underwater and what you're creating here um, as science, experience, philosophy, all of that stuff together, the, um, the psychology of it, the psychosocial aspect of it. And, but imagine what the world would be like in the last three years alone. If we under, if your challenge is to teach the kids to read a paper properly, um, imagine what the world would be like today after all we've been through. If we could understand the distinction between science, research, study, and knew the difference, the world would be a different place. Hashtag winning. I mean, really, yeah. really, because then it would be like, oh, no, 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 you're not pulling the wool over my eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm actually educated enough that I can read the paper that the guy wrote and I can see, oh, the efficacy of this is 34.2%. Oh, the efficacy of this is 75.6%. Huh. Okay, so I can make an informed, educated decision, have an educated discussion about it, see the pros and the cons of everything, and weigh and make a decision for myself instead of having somebody tell me, hey, this is the way that it ought to be. But, yeah. That's cool. If you had to pick one of your favorite things, and it could be anything, it could be from the science, uh, tech, you know, math world, Um, it can be from the underwater world, it can be from your own experience of yourself. Could you pick one moment that you would say, yeah, this is the moment where it, it all came together for me. You've been underwater for 97 days. You're almost done. Is there one favorite, you know, the first thing that you're going to tell your friends when they say, hey, how was it? You know what the coolest thing was? What comes oh, to mind? So it's really interesting. It's right here. See this window? I do. This window that I have here, you have a great responsibility when you sit in this chair. Your job is to high five everybody that comes in this window, right? Even the 15 year old girl or the, I'm I'm sorry, the 13 year old girl who tried 15 times to come from up there, hold her breath and come down here and finally high five me in the window. I watched her, I cheered her on. I was like, come on, come on, you can do it. And then she finally got down here and high five me. And I happened to have my camera I took a selfie of us, her here, me here, and the guy behind her just kind of egging her on. And I sent it to the surface and I said, let me tell you something. I am so proud of this girl because she tried 15 times and I counted. I watched. I tried. Because the other kids were coming down and she was, she was like, she wasn't that good at it. She wasn't that good. She was a little scared. She was a little afraid. And I high-fived her. And I sent it to the surface and I said, I'm so proud. And she was crying. When they wow. gave it to her on the surface and she was crying and I was like, we just won. That was that day, like 15 or 18. That's you have a responsibility. I tell everybody you sit in this window, you have a responsibility. Your job is your mission 
is the most important thing. So let me confess something. Uh, three days ago, I was in here and I had a sinus infection. I still am recovering from it. I'm on my fourth day of antibiotics. But, you know, I had what they call alternobaric vertigo. In other words, my ears sensed a different pressure. So I was sitting here, quite frankly, with the trash can in my lap. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was puking. And it's not good. It's not pleasant. It wasn't fun. Some kid came over to the window. I literally crawled from the seat over there to the window, and I high-fived the kid in the window. Because that's your freaking job. Your job is to incentivize people and to, to high-five in this window. That's, that's the reason why you're down here. You feel bad? Too bad. Do your job. That's the way I took this mission. That's it. when everybody that came down here said, if you sit in this window, you high five everybody that goes by you. That's your job. Yeah. So it's amazing to listen to that, Joe. I feel feelings when you tell that story. Like it makes me feel emotion. No, like I almost cry when I, every time I tell that story, I almost break out and I'm like, I love oh, it. Cause it's very present for me when you tell the story and not only all of that, but all of the science, the PhD, the work in the Navy, all of the bits. And here it all comes back to nothing but the humanity of it all. But it's life, right? Yeah. Life is humanity. <laughs> all the stuff that happens to you is just like, it's, it's like, it's like flair on your shirt, right? Mm, it's right. like items of flair. It, it doesn't mean anything. It's, I love it. It just means anything. It's what you give back to the human, yeah. how you interact with the human. Do you know why I'm not a PhD in marine science? No, I don't. Because my marine science professor was a poo head. <laughs> I'm trying to be, I'm a Navy guy. I could have used a lot worse words. I'm yeah, it's true. To be nice. yep. When I say poo head, I mean, oh, he was not nice at all. So I said, mm. you know what? I don't want to be like him. So maybe you realize that whatever you do, good or bad, is going to affect everybody around you. So choose to do a project. Choose to do it well and correctly. And then what do you have? Then you have a world that just keeps getting better and better and better. And kids keep getting stimulated. A kid, maybe, maybe that was the next, you know, uh, Rosemary Clooney. Maybe that was the next, you know, uh, Sylvia Earle. Maybe that was the next Elon Musk that I high-fived in the window when I was sick. I have no idea. But maybe they'll look back and go, I remember that long-haired guy. I forget what his name was. Doctor, I don't know. I don't know. But he lived underwater for a long time. And, man, he was really cool. He high-fived me in the window. So maybe if they take that away, then they go, science isn't bad at all. Mm. Some, people, some scientists can be cool. <laughs> some scientists can be cool. I love it. Uh, uh, Joe, thank you for this. Um, I have an invitation for you. I would like to invite you to, uh, here's the thing, is all of these people, they want to talk to the guy who's living in a pod underwater. Um, <laughs> I, and I do too. Uh, I just think it's fascinating. I want to talk to you when you get back up to the surface. Can we let the people connect all that? Because I, I want to hear what it feels like to come out of this. I want to hear, here's why I say this. I went to, I did a week of study where I did a, a technology unplug, like I was off devices for a whole week. There was no stimulation. There was, other than in our study, there was no music, there was no TV, there was nothing but the conversation that we were with and the study, very existential study and psychology study. And in that moment, you kind of feel like there's this massive like light shining on you, right? Like all of the light in the world that you could ever need 
is with you in that moment. When you leave that, that sanctuary, if you will, and you go back in the world, you realize that that light, when all circumstance comes pouring back in, is just a pinhole. And you realize how valuable that pinhole is. I wanna hear about the pinhole that you experience when you get back to circumstance of all of the things. Will you tell us that story in a few weeks? I will absolutely do that. You please gotta hook up with Ben. He's setting up the quote unquote world tour. I don't know what the rules are. I don't know what the regulations are. Talk to Ben, he will set that up. But nice. I'm telling you, because some of the stuff that you're talking right now, and I mean this, and I'm not just trying to blow sunshine up your uh, your backside here, but realistically, the stuff that you're talking about is the stuff that I literally, when I sat here and I meditated for 100 days or 97 days so far, when I sat and meditated and thought on all this stuff, this is the kind of stuff that has come to the surface. This is what percolates up. What's really important? You think this phone means anything? I try and keep it as far away from me as I possibly can at this point. I'm like, all the technology, it's good for what it's good for, but this part right here, like for instance, what do humans need? We need touch. Mm. I can talk to you all day long. If I don't high five you, shake your hand, look you crooked in the eye or give you a big hug, I'm missing the connection. That's what we learned during COVID and we've already forgot it. We've yeah. already forgot it. Kids are right back into their phone, yeah. right back into their phone. They have forgotten the lesson they learned in COVID, which is, hey, you actually need to go out and touch me. Say hello. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yes, we have things to talk about. I'd love to come up and talk to you in this day. That's so great. The, uh, I have and, lovely friends in Canada. Oh, good. Well, there you go. You have, a, you have a bunch more now with all of the shift heads that listen to this show. So um, <laughs> put your feet in the grass, ground it out, touch the people. Don't touch them without permission, just for the sake of saying it, because I feel like I got to say that. But shake the hands, touch the people, and um, and uh, and go. We're going to put some links up to everything that you've been up to, uh, so people can see this. There are some photos, there are some articles, and so much more. Dr. Joseph Deturi, uh, he's a PhD. He does. Um, I wrote it down here. The biomedical fancy, fancy big words. Uh, you can understand these. Bio uh, PhD in biomedical engineering. Um, and uh, you can understand that stuff. I'm the guy who asks the challenges and asks the questions, so it's a perfect dance. Uh, thanks, Joe. I really appreciate you sharing thank your heart you. with us today because that was magical, man. Oh, thank you so much. What a great interview. Like I said, I get I get asked a lot of questions, but I don't get to talk about the the existential portion of this, which to me, that's the money right there. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.